Good day, everyone. As Troy said, we're actually between sermon series uh, tonight as we start the year. Uh, over the summer, we've been looking at uh, the wonderful signs or miracles in John's gospel and seeing what they show us about who Jesus is. We finished that last week, if you remember, with Jesus' greatest sign, raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and then next week, we're going to come back to the book of Acts. So I hope you remember last year, we studied Acts 1 to 12. Uh, we're going to start back and finish the book of Acts. Look at the second half of the book of Acts starting next week. So if you want to read ahead, uh, well, actually, if you want to remind yourself of what we looked at already, maybe read the first 12 or 13 chapters of Acts this week. Now, we could have started that series today, but I didn't want to do that uh, on sort of the last Sunday of the summer and the Sunday of a public holiday. I, so I thought, we'll just have a one-off today. Uh, and uh, I thought, let's start the year by getting our minds into the right frame, by sort of trying to set our heart and our mind with the right priorities for the year ahead. Uh, and I want to do that by just reminding us of what must be the very centre of the Christian life. Uh, I want to remind us just how wonderful the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is. That's my very simple aim tonight. Uh, and I want to talk about how you can never hear that good news too often uh, or know it too well. And to do that, I want to turn to the Bible passage that I read more than any other Bible passage every year. You know when you get your Spotify thing at the end of the year and it tells you what songs you're listening to? I didn't listen to that, but then you realise your children were using your account. No, that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. But this is the Bible passage that would come up on my top hits playlist, Ephesians 2, because it is the passage when I am feeling dry, uh, when I am feeling, is it all worth it? This is the passage I go and read just to remind myself how wonderful the gospel of Jesus really is. So uh, this is a pretty important passage to me. Uh, and so when I thought of what to preach, I thought let's preach this one because I've never actually preached it before. So there you go. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. But given what I've just said about how I turn to this passage for refreshment, one of the things that will strike you is just how dark the opening is. So I've called actually the first three verses the hopeless human condition. So uh, look at verse 1, it starts off, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's a pretty negative start, isn't it? Uh, but, and this is so important, you know, to, to really appreciate light, you have to have been in darkness. To, to get something fixed, you need to realise it's broken. And, and like many people, uh, especially men, I think, uh, I very rarely go to the doctor. I was going to say it can be years between my trips to the GP, it can be decades between my trips, which isn't good and I've been rebuked this morning by people telling me I should go get a checkup. so it's okay. As a 25 year old I don't know, anyway that's a joke. Uh, but the point is you go to the doctor because there is no use hiding from a, from a true diagnosis, it's better to know the truth because then you know better how to deal with it. And so here it's only when you understand the depth of our problem that you will ever understand how amazing God's solution is. Now he's talking to Christians in this passage and he's saying this is what you were before you came to know Christ. It's interesting, I, I think we don't quite realise the depths of our problems. Sometimes even when we become a Christian, it's only later as we read the scriptures that we realise, yes, actually I had a problem. So here, this is what he says, he summarises our condition, he says three things. He says, first of all, we were dead in our sins Secondly, we were enslaved by the spirit of this world. And thirdly, we were under God's wrath and judgment. So look at it. He says from verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What does he mean when he says we were dead? Well, originally, if you go back to the start of the Bible, to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God made us 
to live forever. D- death is not actually natural. We, we were made to live forever with God, honouring Him, worshipping Him, enjoying Him forever. The reality is we don't. We turn our back on the God who created us. We try and decide right and wrong for ourselves. Uh, even when we, when we think we're being righteous, we then boast about it and become self-righteous. And all of that is what the Bible calls trespasses and sin. And God's judgment on our trespasses and sin is death. So if you remember our sermon series last year in Genesis 1-3, to Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree of life because of their sin. Well, in the same way, our sin cuts us off from the source of life, which is God. Our sin means we are spiritually dead. And so, yes, we feel alive, but actually, from the moment we are born, death and decay is our reality. People say, that can't be true, because I'm clearly alive. You know, I, I, I feel alive, and that sort of thing. But no, the reality is we are spiritually dead. The best picture I have of this, it comes from the Psalms in the Old Testament, the best picture I have of the human condition is we are like flowers in a vase. You, you know the flowers that you have there in the vase, they look alive, they look so colourful, they look so, so wonderful, but from the moment they were cut off and, and, and removed from their roots, the moment the farmer did that, they were dead. And so they look alive for a week, maybe for a month if you're lucky, but in the end they wither and they die eventually all flowers wither and that is us in our sin more than that God says we were enslaved look from verse 1 again it says and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens the spirit now working in the disobedient see we have to think that without God we're free I sometimes talk to people who, who've grown up in the church and they, they reject the church, they reject God, they reject Jesus. They say, I'm free of all those rules, I'm free of all those regulations. We like to think, without God, I'm free. It's actually the opposite. If we do not follow God, we follow the ruler of this world, which is the devil. We walk according to his ways. Now, again, you say, but I'm not into witchcraft. I'm not into the occult. I'm not sacrificing squirrels or, or, or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not a devil worshipper. But no, it just means we live the way the devil wants us to live. We live with no regard for God as if he doesn't exist. We seek our own pleasure and our own ways. You see, the devil doesn't care if you worship him or if you worship money or if you worship success. or if you, He doesn't care what you worship as long as you don't worship God. And all of that meant that we were, thirdly, under God's wrath and judgment. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment. Because of the way we've treated God, but also because of the way we've treated other people, we deserve God's judgment. Now, this idea of God's wrath and judgment is an unpopular doctrine today. It's unpopular in our world. It's unpopular in the church People want a God of just forgiveness and a a God of just love, but God's judgment is real. And frankly, I don't think a God that that doesn't care about justice, I don't think is worth following. A God that doesn't think sin is worth punishing, I don't think he is worth following. But more than that, we have to talk about God's judgment because this diagnosis is reality. If If I have a cancer in my body... There's no use denying it. There's no use sticking my head in the sand. There's no use saying, let's not talk about it and hope it goes away. We need the diagnosis 
so that we can get the cure. And so this is God's diagnosis of the human condition, dead in our sins, enslaved by the spirit of the world and under God's wrath and judgment. Now at this point I want to pause, I want to speak to you if you're here tonight and you are not a Christian. I want to talk to you if you're here and you are not someone who follows the Lord Jesus. Because you might be thinking, oh yeah, this is right, typical judgmental Christians, this is what Christians think of other people. That Christians think this is what other people are and that we're somehow better or something like that. I hope you see here, the point he's making is, this is the Bible's diagnosis of the universal human condition. You see, Christians are not better than other people. We've just found the answer to the problem. And that's why Christians are so driven to share Jesus with other people we meet. So if your Christian friend or family member pesters you, if your Christian friend or family member annoys you sometimes, always wanting to talk about Jesus, always wanting to invite you to church, it's because they love you. They want you to find the answer to the problem that they have found themselves. But that brings us to the next part of our passage, the solution to our problem. And I've called this second part, just I've given a one-word title, but, and we're looking at verses four to seven. Because you see, verse 4 starts with one of the most powerful and beautiful words in the English language, which is, but. But, if you just think about this, but can be incredibly powerful. Just think about the guy, sorry if this is close to the bone for anyone, but uh, think about the guy sitting at the cafe with the girl. And she says, I really like you, Fred. I think you're a lovely guy. And his heart goes, oh, wow. And then she says, but. And you just watch him melt away. His heart dropped to the floor. But I just want to be friends. See, how many people have had their hearts broken? But don't put up your hands, please. By, <laughs> by the word, but. Or perhaps in a more positive way, you know, the blood tests have shown you've got this serious problem. Oh, no. But I think we can treat it. You see, but is such a powerful word. And here it is the most wonderful, positive word. He says, we were dead in our sins, we were enslaved to the spirit of this world, we were deserving of God's wrath, come to verse 4, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. But God. See, we do not fix our problem. Dead people cannot do anything for themselves, that's the point. But God does something about it. God shows us mercy. You see, mercy is giving people what they don't deserve. Or perhaps more correctly, it's it's not giving people what they do deserve. And so instead of giving us what we deserve, which is judgment, God is merciful. Instead of giving us death, God gives us life. Instead of giving us judgment, God gives us forgiveness. And it's not that God sees a grain of good in you or in me and says, oh, I'll give him another go. He does it because of his love. God, just because of who he is, loves the unlovable. See, God, just because of who he is, decides to show mercy. And so God, it says, makes us alive with the Messiah, that is with Jesus. Uh, This passage doesn't go into the mechanics of how God does that, at least that for all sorts of other parts of Scripture. It doesn't explain how God makes a life, how Jesus dies to pay the price for our sin, how he rises from the dead like we saw last week and and defeats death once and for all. This passage is more about what it means for us. It leaves the mechanics for other places. 
What it means for us is we were dead, but now we have eternal life. We were under God's judgment, now we are objects of his mercy and his grace and his kindness. There's another wonderful part there though, go down to verse 7. Because remember how we were enslaved by the spirit of this world? Well, not any longer. In verse 7 it tells us we now have a place in the heavens with Jesus. It's saying this world, this, you're not trapped here anymore. This, this is not your, your, your true home anymore. We're not slaves of this world anymore. We're citizens of heaven. This is the wonderful news of the gospel. This is what God has done for us through Christ. See, this is why we need to grasp the depths and the despair, if you like, of verses 1 to 3, because only then can you grasp the heights of God's love in these verses. There's another key word that came up in that passage. Go back over those verses, look back over them. There's another word that I didn't focus on that is such a key word, and that word is grace. Do you see that there? Look in verse 5 again. He says, you are saved by grace. See, grace means that it is a free gift. It is unearned. Sadly, the most common misunderstanding of the Christian gospel is that Christianity is about pulling your socks up and doing good and then maybe God might reward you. And it's amazing, I can preach a sermon on a passage like Ephesians 2 and someone will come up to me after church and say, thanks Phil, I really needed that sort of kick up the behind and I want to do a better job for God. And they've totally misunderstood. The Christian message is the opposite of that. It is about what God has done for us, not about what we do for God. We were dead in our sins, but God shows us grace. So come with me to the third part in verses 8 and 9, the grace of God. You know when you're telling someone a story or you're you're telling a joke or you're trying to communicate something important and you've shared the key point, you've shared the punchline, but looking at them and their response, you can tell they haven't got it. You know, they they don't laugh at the right point. You're there and you sort of think, why aren't you laughing? That was a really funny joke. I, I even told it. Well, sometimes, let me tell you, as a preacher, sometimes I look out there and I say something and I want to get down and shake individuals in the congregation and say, don't you understand how good that was? That was really funny, you know, or well, that was really poignant. That was, that was a massively important point. And here, it's like the Apostle Paul wants to get down and shake us at this point. He's already told us we're saved by grace. That's back in verse 5. But here, it's like he wants to make sure that you have really got it. And so verses 8 and 9 are Paul grabbing you by the shoulders, staring into your eyes and saying, have you really got what I'm saying? Look at verse 8. He says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. See how much he stresses the point? I think this is one of the clearest verses in the Bible. Uh, And yet people still get it wrong. People still walk away thinking somehow they can do good things to earn God's favour. People think, sure, I've got to do something for for God to love me. I've got to earn it in some way. Or people are proud of, of what they do for God. So he slows down for us dummies and he says, get this, you are saved by grace. It is a free gift. And how do you receive that gift? Only by faith. You can't be proud of your faith. Faith is just a fancy word for trust or or, or for believing. You, You accept God's gift 
by believing in his son, that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose and defeated death, and by trusting in him, you are forgiven because of Christ. See, faith is not you doing something. Sometimes I meet Christians, it's like they're proud of their faith. They go, yeah, I'm not saved by works, but I believe, unlike that person over there. No, no, no. Faith is not something you do, it's just accepting what God has done for you. And if it's by grace, and if it's received by faith, then we have nothing to boast about. Look again from verse 8, the end of verse 8. It says, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. When we stand before God, and everyone will have to stand before God, on the judgment day, and he asks, why should I not judge you like you deserve? The person who says, oh, because I, because I was a really nice guy, because I went to church, I taught kids' church, or because, because of all the good I did, God will have no time for that person. He'll say, I don't know you, you don't know me. God wants the person who says, actually, you should judge me. It's just what I deserve. But thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you sent Jesus to make me alive. That is the Christian gospel. I want to say to you, if you are here tonight and you are not someone who trusts in Jesus, that is the message we would love you to know more than anything else. Uh, I'm going to talk about the life course in a moment. We'd love you to come along, ask your questions, try and find answers because that is what you need, because that diagnosis we gave before is real. But for most of us here tonight, I want to draw our sermon together with two final encouragements. So final heading, uh, walking in the light of God's grace. My first encouragement is this, and it's really simple. It's as we start this year, just remind yourself, this is what it's all about. Just remind yourself, this is the most important thing you know. This is the most vital thing you know. They always go past just at that point, don't they? Usually it's the guy with the muffler that doesn't work. But this time it's the police or something. I'll say that again. As we start this year, just remind yourself, this is what it is all about. This wonderful news should be the centre of your life. This should be the truth that drives you. Remind yourself of this truth every day when you get out of bed, every night before you go to bed. I was dead in my sins, but God, in his mercy, because of his love, God has made me alive in Christ Jesus. By grace, I am saved. Praise God. But then, for my second encouragement, we need to look at the final verse of our passage. Come with me to verse 10. See, the passage doesn't end at verse 9. It says, knowing this grace of God will have an impact on you. Look at verse 10. It says, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. No one is saved by works. I hope you've got that from the first nine verses. But anyone who is saved now lives to do the good works that Jesus has prepared for us to do. Now, we don't do them because we have to. A Christian doesn't do the good works they have to do out of obligation. We don't do them because we're trying to pay God back. Sometimes I hear Christians say that. They say, well, if I'm saved by grace, why should I do good works? It's, well, it's because I owe God a debt. I better pay him back for what he's done for me. That would just mean God sort of gave you a lay-by. That's not being saved by grace. That's just you, you pay after the fact. No, no, no. You are saved by grace, not by a repayable loan to God. And we do the good works because we don't want to walk in the ways of this world anymore. 
Because we've been made alive in Christ. We say, I don't want to live that old life. I don't want to live that dead life. I now want to live as a new person who knows God's grace. And so now I want to walk his way. So as we start this year, I want to just invite us all to be intentional about working out how we can walk in the good works God has prepared for us. I think that word walks is really important. It actually has that sense of intentionality. You used to just follow the ways of the world. Now you decide the path of your feet because you know the grace of God. Now, this covers every area of life. I want you to think hard. Think about every aspect of life. How can I love my neighbour this year? That's what Jesus, that's the good works God has prepared in advance for you to do. How can I love my my family in my home this year? How can I love my neighbour in my workplace or at school or at uni or wherever it is you spend your time? How can I help God build up my church family this year? That's some of the good works God has prepared for us to do. How can I prioritise my time as God wants me to this year? See, verse 10, I think, demands we be intentional about how we walk in God's ways. Now, I could go on and on about every area of life, but I think this passage demands we think about one area in particular. You see, that diagnosis back in verses 1 to 3, yes, it was about what we were, but that is the reality for all people who do not know Jesus. If people are under God's judgment, then we have the words of eternal life, How on earth can we ever keep them to ourselves? So I want to encourage you to be intentional in 2024 about sharing the wonderful truth that you know with others. In my experience, every Christian, every person who knows the gospel, wants to share the gospel with other people. In my experience, every Christian wants people to be saved. Every Christian wants people to find the life that that we've had. But if we are not intentional about it, nothing happens. I want to invite you this year to think about being intentional with your time or life will pass you by and you don't even talk to the person you would love to see come to know Jesus. Be intentional about praying for people. Now, of course, in our church, we have some focal points in the year for that, our life course. Hopefully everyone's got one of these cards. Everyone got one of these cards? Take it out now. Take it out and look at it. Because I just want to remind you, our life course is such a great thing because it's really just this incredible, relaxed opportunity for people to hear the gospel, like I've preached tonight, to ask their questions and to come and find life in Jesus. It doesn't get any better than what we do at the Life Course. Now, the first Tuesday night it starts is the 20th of February. Now, I think every one of us here would love lots of our friends and family to be there, but what happens is we get to the 21st of February and we say, that's right, the Life Course was on. Would have been good to have invited Bob. You see, what I want you to do is be intentional about it, plan for it. If you've never come to the life course before, I want you to come this year, even if you don't bring someone. I'd love you to come, be reminded of the fundamentals of the gospel. You can talk to other people there at the life course. We would love you to be a part of it. But much more than that, I want you to be praying for your friends and family, like I will be, and thinking intentionally about asking them along. My hope is that every member of St George North is intentionally working towards that opportunity. Why would we do that? Because God has saved me by grace, so that I might walk in the good works he has prepared for me. And what better thing is there to do than to share the joy and share the life that I have found with people I know and love? And also, just because I love people, 
And so I want them to find life like I have found. So why don't I pray for us all for this year right now? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we thank you that you, in your mercy, not because of anything we've done, but only because of your mercy and grace and love, you have made us alive in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we are saved by grace through faith, that we have nothing to boast about. But now, Father, as people who have been saved, we pray that you might help us this year and always to walk in those good works that you have prepared for us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.